Well, good evening and welcome to our study through the Psalms. Uh, here on Wednesday nights, we're so excited to be able to do this every single week and take some time in the middle of our week and just focus on what God's Word says to us. Uh, as we prepare uh, for worship uh, through God's Word tonight, uh, just remind you that every time we worship together, we have the opportunity to bring God glory and honor, declare our dependence on Him, our devotion to Him, and our delight in Him by giving our tithes and offerings. Encourage you to take some time uh, in, in the midst of this to evaluate whether or not you're being faithful in stewardship. As, as my family has to make that evaluation, I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Uh, are we being faithful in giving our tithes and offerings to the Lord? Uh, so encourage you to give and be faithful uh, because that's what God expects of us. Uh, as we begin tonight, I want to encourage you to turn to Psalm chapter 58. Uh, and while you're turning there, uh, before we begin, let me just start with a word of prayer. Will you pray with me, please? Father, right now, we thank you that you are faithful to us and that your grace and your glory uh, shine brightly in our midst. We pray, O oh God, that you would be glorified as we worship you and as we adore you, as we take time to learn from you. I pray that you would take your word and by your spirit apply it to our hearts, that we would be faithful followers of Jesus in these days, uh, that we would be witnesses for you and for your goodness and your glory, uh, and that you would be honored with our lives. Uh, we know that this passage that you've given us tonight to study was given for our instruction that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We know that this uh, passage that you've given us to study tonight was given uh, so that we might, through the comfort and the admonition of Scripture, be stronger uh, every day that we live as followers of Jesus. Now, uh, take this time uh, and nourish our souls, uh, correct our course, and uh, inspire us. Uh, to bring you glory and honor in all that we do. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, in Psalm 58, we have this uh, uh, ominous warning about wickedness. And before I read Psalm 58, uh, I just want uh, you to listen uh, to a, a parable that Jesus told. And this parable applies to what Psalm 58 teaches. Uh, scripture says in Luke chapter 18, he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, uh, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor care for man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me for my adversary, from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor care for man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And then Jesus said, hear what the unjust judge said. Shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? 
In this story that Jesus told, he's talking about prayer. And I think that as we began in Psalm 54 and, and as we continue in Psalm 59, it's kind of the end point of these uh, prayers that David prayed in times of his own distress. Uh, as we look to our own lives and, and our own prayer journey, uh, we ought always to pray and not lose heart. Uh, what Psalm 58 teaches us is that even when we face injustice against us, even when uh, the most severe uh, oppression happens to us, uh, we have uh, a loving Father uh, who provides just judgment against those who oppress us. Now, uh, this is a psalm that uh, speaks to those especially who have experienced uh, the hardship of oppression. Uh, when you think of Psalm 58 and the prayer that is prayed uh, on the heels of Martin Luther King Day just a, a, a few days ago, we're reminded that in our nation's history there is uh, this um, record of oppression. And that oppression has fallen uh, upon a particular people, our people, uh, people of color. Uh, and so we need to understand that this prayer for those who are followers of Christ, who are under the imp uh, oppression of prejudice and slavery and racism that marks so much of our nation's history, this prayer is especially for them. It's, it's especially for us as well, when we face the most severe cases of oppression and injustice, uh, thinking in terms of uh, a spouse that's been abused or uh, a child that's been uh, treated shamefully, uh, we need to remember that Psalm 58 is the words of God put in our mouth to express the raw emotion of our pain so that we might find and have hope in the just judgment of God. And so as we look at this prayer, uh, we begin with a description of these uh, oppressors, these wicked people. Uh, and then we move to the prayer for justice, and that's verses 6 through 9. Then verse uh, uh, 10 and 11, as we conclude, we rejoice in the justice God's, God brings. So as you look at your life and as you think, and, and just a couple of notes, um, this psalm is applicable to us when we're going through difficult days, t t tough times, but when it talks about wickedness here, and it talks about especially powerful people who have uh, the power to oppress us, um, the specific application are for those who are undergoing severe, severe persecution. Um, but the principle of this prayer applies to us in our everyday life as we face difficulties. But we can't make a one-to-one -one comparison between these wicked rulers that we find, these mighty ones in Psalm 58. They are not the same as the person that irritates us as we're driving in our commute to work. Uh, uh, we might apply the principle of Psalm 58, but, but the exactitude of Psalm 58 is especially for the person that 
that, that is under the weight and the pain of the most severest of oppression. All right, so as we look at this psalm, uh, let's look first and foremost to the description of the wicked oppressors. This is found in verses 1 through 5. All right, so it begins with two questions that the psalmist asks. Do you indeed speak righteousness, O mighty ones, or silent ones, or O gods, depending on your translation? Uh, Do you judge uprightly, you sons of men? No, no. In your heart, in your in heart, you work wickedness. You weigh out the violence of your hands upon the earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They're deaf. Uh, they're like the deaf cobra that stops its ear, uh, which will not heed the voice of charmers, charming ever so skillfully. And so, in these first five verses, there's some uh, language here that we need to kind of navigate. Uh, In the very first verse, it says, uh, do you speak righteousness? And then the New King James Version translates um, a a Hebrew word, uh, you silent ones. Uh, In the New American Standard Version, it's, uh, do you speak righteously, O gods? In Another translation, ESV, it, it talks about you mighty ones or, or uh, rulers. So as you look at this, what, what's he talking about here? Well, the intent of the psalm is speaking to powerful people uh, who are oppressing those under them. Uh, think of wicked kings, and there are some wicked kings that we could point to, wicked rulers. I, I don't know if you know this, but someone like Genghis Khan Uh, it is reported that he perhaps killed about 40% of the world's population uh, as he gained power and prestige. Um, That that would qualify as wicked, oppressing others so that you might get more. Um, That's that's what it's talking about here. It's talking about uh, the person that uses his power in order to gain advantage over another, abusing the other. Uh, think of Ebenezer Scrooge and how he treated uh, Tom Cratchit. Uh, that uh, is oppression, a wicked ruler. So uh, in verse 1, I think what the psalmist is saying is, hey, listen, there are rulers on the earth, uh, these sons of men, there are rulers on the earth uh, who are silent when it comes to righteousness, and they use their power to get their stuff. And they use their power in a way that oppresses others. Now, further in this description, it goes on, he says, um, uh, they, they don't speak righteousness, they ju- don't judge uprightly. Verse 2, in heart, uh, these rulers work wickedness and they weigh out violence on the inhabitants of the earth. So these are rulers that have the power to do justice, but they work with wickedness. They have the power to produce peace, but they work violence. And this is a description of a wicked ruler. Verse 3, the wicked are estranged from the womb and go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lives. So these are wicked rulers that have, um, uh, who are ruled by wickedness, 
uh, and the depravity of sin has overruled them, and they've had no regard for God nor compassion for humanity. Uh, they are unjust. Uh, their poison, verse 4, is like the poison of a serpent. They're, uh, they're, uh, they're like uh, the deaf cobra that stops its ears. It can't be charmed. No, no amount of pleading with these rulers is going to keep them from injecting their toxic poison in others in order to get their way. They're filled with a narcissism that the world exists for their pleasure and that people are merely puppets in their plan. They live with this idea that the goal of the people under their authority should be must be, at all costs to them, the ruler's personal pleasures. And no amount of pleading, no amount of, of, uh, of, of logic, no amount of, of uh, philosophy is ever going to turn their ears toward the good. Um, so as we look at this psalm, we're looking at people that are really despicable. We're looking at rulers that are truly wicked. Uh, and these wicked rulers, uh, this uh, injustice that they dole out, it's not in a philosophical realm. It's not just in ideological terms. These rulers literally bring havoc and pain and personal distress to followers of God. And they bring pain and devastation to those who are made in the image of God. Now, we can say without uh, equivocation that such rulers should not be in power. For the psalmist, and these rulers were in power, and this psalmist was um, impotent to change that. These rulers perhaps think of someone who's living during the time of Ahab, the king of Israel, uh, whose wife is Jezebel. Ahab was known as a wicked king. You know, think in terms of, of, of those who are faithful to God, uh, who long to live in covenant faithfulness with God in Israel, but Ahab is leading the nation, the people of Israel, to abandon God and to worship Baal. Not only that, he begins to take away food and work and even uh, freedoms from those who refuse to bow down to Baal. We would call that a wicked ruler. And that's kind of the setting that we find from uh, this psalm, this picture of a ruler that is oppressive especially to the people of God. And so, in the midst of this oppression, the psalmist has only one recourse, and that recourse is to turn to God. And sometimes, that's the way we feel. We feel like we're, um, and, and again, this is not a one-to-one -one comparison. I'm not saying your boss is like Ahab, uh, but perhaps you work in a job that um, is uh, demeaning to you, uh, where the bosses or the co-workers are abusive toward you, and you're in a setting where you've got to get the paycheck, and so you uh, press through the abuses, and, and you're miserable, and you long for a way out, but you've got to have the paycheck to pay the bills, and so you press on. How do you respond to that kind of life? As a follower of Jesus, the good news 
is that there is a recourse, that God does hear us when we cry out to him. So as we look at the wickedness that uh, surrounds us, the second thing that we must see is that we need to pray for God to act. This is verses 6 through 9. Now, I want you to hear the language. This is called imprecatory prayer. And I'm not suggesting that you and I as followers of Jesus should be uh, skilled in imprecatory prayer, but hear the raw pain of the oppressed follower of God cries out in that pain in an expression that then awakens faith. Um, In our prayer closet, there are days when we must, with absolute honesty and utter integrity, cry out with the deepest level of our emotional pain to God. That's the place to send our pain. Uh, And so, uh, in our cry for God to act, we express uh, the deep hurt and pain that we feel. We're living under the weight of uh, circumstances that are unjust. What do we do? We express in the deepest personal way our pain to God, inviting him, asking him, and urging him to act. So look at verses 6 through 9. There are four Uh, uh, specific requests uh, that the psalmist makes. First, break their teeth in their mouth, O God. Break out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them flow, them being the wicked rulers, let them flow away as waters which run continually. When he bends his bow, let his arrows be as if they're cut in pieces. Let them be like the snail which melts away as it goes like a stillborn child of a woman that they may not see the sun. Before your pots can feel the burning thorns, God shall take them away as as with a whirlwind, as in his living and burning wrath. Pretty pretty harsh prayer there. Now, the first prayer is God break their teeth. Now, why is he asking God to break their teeth? Well, look at the comparison, break their teeth like you would break the teeth of young lions. Uh, in the symbolism of verse 6, it's the, it's the request God make them uh, uh, powerless to attack, to bite and devour me. Yeah, that makes sense. God, will you uh, take uh, the oppressor, the one that is uh, 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 battling me, attacking me, bringing injustice and oppression in my life. God, will you make them powerless? Will you break their teeth? Uh, this, the second prayer is let them flow away as waters which run continually. Uh, there's an old adage, especially in fishing, is you, you never step in the same river twice. And you think about it, the, the river is a, is a constant flow of water. In the Middle East, uh, you have uh, these uh, 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 creek beds called wadis, and these wadis are, are places where in the springtime or, or in the raintime, the, the water would come, but as soon as the water fell, the ground, which was so dry, would soak up the water. It would flow for a moment, but then it would be uh, swallowed up in the earth in these wadis. Uh, That's the picture of verse 7. It's that uh, these individuals would vanish. 
that, that they would have no further influence. Not only would they not have power, but they would not have influence, that they would disappear, um, that they would be ineffective like an arrow cut in pieces, and that their work of abuse or oppression would no longer be effective, that as their power fades, as their influence disappears, uh, so would their effectiveness uh, be dismantled. In verse 8, let them be like a snail uh, which melts away as it goes. Have you ever watched a snail in the heat of the summer as it's trying to crawl its way along hot concrete and leaving that trail? It's almost as if they're melting in the heat of the sun. Uh, that's the picture of verse 8. Let them be like a snail which melts away as it goes. Uh, let them disappear compared, and also the second part of verse 8, as if they had never been born. Uh, let them not, not just their influence disappear, not just their power uh, diminish, not just their effectiveness be dismantled, but let them disappear. Take them out of the way. And verse 9 uh, is uh, uh, kind of a, a transition to verses 10 and 11, but, but I include it here because it's a picture of what we expect or ask God to do uh, when we're under the weight of oppression and injustice. Um, and and the, the picture here is that you have uh, a, an open fire, a campfire, and uh, you have a pot. And as soon as you pot, uh, put the pot on the flame, before the flame can even touch the, the metal, uh, you're asking God to sweep away the pot so that the flame never touches the pot. Well, here the wicked ruler is the pot, and uh, we're, we're asking God to sweep the ruler out of his place, position uh, of influence and power. And we're asking God to do um, what would be just in the face of injustice. We're asking God to do that which is right in the face of unrighteousness. And today as we look at this psalm, we're asking God to, um, uh, to respond to the wicked ruler according to his righteous wrath, his living and burning wrath. That's a harsh, harsh word, but this is the prayer that is prayed uh, when you're living as a follower of Jesus under the severest of persecution. As we uh, see who our wicked rulers are, the wicked oppressors, and as we pray for God to act, then finally we can rejoice in God's just judgment. The psalmist doesn't stop with merely asking God to act. He proceeds in his prayer with an anticipation that God is going to do exactly what he prays for God to do. It's that kind of praying that... that uh, uh, that gives voice to faith in our soul in the face of injustice. Now, uh, the rejoicing comes, and again, some pretty harsh language here in verses 10 and 11. The righteous shall rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked, so that 
people will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely he is God who judges in the earth. Just a couple of things about these final verses, uh, verses 10 and 11. Uh, I want us to major on the rejoicing. And the rejoicing is found because we can count on God answering prayer. Uh, the, 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 uh, the rejoicing comes because God proves, verse 11, that he is God, sovereign over all things. There is no ruler or power that has greater influence than he. He is the God who loves those who belong to him and those who walk according to his ways, and he will give them vindication, reward, the fruit of of righteousness. The fruit of righteousness is vindication at the hands of a holy God. And God in his holiness and in his righteousness, rewarding his people, um, brings about judgment on those who judge unjustly. Now, uh, the picture of of, of verse 10 of of we're going to uh, bathe our feet in the blood of the wicked um, that's not a common uh, metaphor in Scripture, uh, although uh, in Revelation we see that Jesus has dipped his garments in the blood of the wicked. Uh, it is a picture of justice winning, of righteousness ruling. It's a picture of the just reward for wickedness. Just as there is the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of wickedness becomes very plain. Um, Those who are in in, in powerful positions who behave wickedly may think they're going to get away with it, but the reality is they won't. Wickedness always bears fruit. And that fruit is judgment from a holy God. In this prayer, what we're doing is is we're activating faith in our hearts to see our lives in the grip of God's grace and his favor, depending upon his holiness and righteousness given to us by Jesus Christ. It, it, it brings us to the foot of the cross Uh, depending upon God's mercy and grace given to us through the sacrifice of Jesus for our sin. It brings us beyond the cross to an empty tomb where we see the victorious rule of Jesus Christ, the resurrected King, that gives us victory so that we can declare with the Apostle Paul that uh, if God is for us, who then can stand against us? Uh, The language of this psalm is very strong, and it's very specific. Um, The intentional uh, rule of wickedness results in God's just judgment. For us as followers of Jesus in times in which we live, whether it's severe persecution or minor conflict, we can depend upon God to care for us. Now, we can depend upon God to nourish our soul with his presence. Because of Jesus, we're part of God's family. We look to God as our Father. And when we cry out to him to act, we know that he will act. He will move with power in our midst. Is your prayer life such that you're expressing yourself with deep, raw emotion? Yes. 
but more than the emotion, are you expressing yourself in the deep confidence of faith that God Himself cares for you? And, and even though life is not working out the way we might want it to, we can depend on God to take the circumstances of our life and build us up and strengthen us and give us courage in the face of our circumstance. As we look at this psalm, I'm reminded of a hymn that we sing. It was uh, the lyrics of the hymn were penned by a guy named Martin Luther back in 1529 A.D. Uh, It's called A Mighty Fortress Is Our God. I want you to listen uh, to one of the verses of this hymn. He says, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for he hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never fading. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine down upon you and be gracious to you. May he fill your life with hope and confidence and courage. May he give you strength to stand in the day of oppression, trusting in his love to bring just judgment on your oppressors. God bless you and good night.